You may be seated and open your Bibles, if you will. Turn to uh, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. I want to ask you a question this morning. You know, I, I know some people here are good historians. As a matter of fact, I, some people, have, one of them even has a degree in that. Uh, you know who, who a guy was named John Harper? You ever heard of him? Well, let me tell you a story about John Harper. John Har- Harper was a man, he lived all... Oh, Actually, he died about 106 years ago. But John Harper was a man who was on board of a luxury liner that had the richest people in the world on it, on the richest luxury liner that ever sailed. The safest one, biggest one, going to be a great journey, right? They all took out to sea, but that luxury liner had a little problem. Hit an iceberg. And you know, as it took on water, all these people who had had the greatest fortunes maybe of any group of people right there in one place in the whole world. They'd all put all their money, had these great fortunes they had amassed. But you know what? The ship was going to sink. And there wasn't enough lifeboats for everybody to be saved. So when it came apparent that the ship was going to go down, the ship captain said, "Play." got the band together and said, play a ditty so they could be comforted while the ship was going down. So they did, and they started out playing ragtime. <laughs> but you know what? They went to hymns. Started playing hymns. Well, John Harper put his six-year-old daughter into a lifeboat, and then he went around the ship warning other passengers about where he had placed his fortune, where he was counting his treasures had been laid up. He told them about Jesus Christ. And he went up to people and he would say, do you know Jesus Christ? And they said, no, he would share the gospel with them. This is why the ship is going down. Huh, that's kind of strange, isn't it? All of us, we're we're not aboard anything like that, are we? Where the ship's going down? Hmm. Anyway, so John Harper went around. And when the ship did go down, he jumped into the water. And he swam up to a man who's floating there. And he says, do you know Jesus Christ? The guy said, no, he says, Place your faith in him and him only, and you will be saved, according to his word. Sharing the gospel. John Harper died that night. 1,522 people died on that boat. All those other people had put their fortunes someplace in the world. And they lost their fortunes that night, didn't they? John Harper had placed his fortunes somewhere else in heaven. Placed his treasures in heaven. I want, to really, I want you to hear the word, the last words. This is a story from several people who, who did live through it. They played this hymn as they were going down. Here's the last words of the hymn that were sung. Hold me up in mighty waters. Keep my eyes on things above. Righteous, divine atonement. Peace and everlasting love. Wow. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Some of the richest people in the world lost all that they had, their fortunes that night. But worse, they lost their, their eternal lives because they had placed their fortunes, placed all of their treasures in the wrong place. John Harper had placed his, his treasures somewhere else in heaven. Mm. He could die in this life without worrying about it. Why? Because he knew where his treasures were. And that's where his life had been spent. And the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Um, we've been learning about our relationship with the Father. 
the most important relationship in life that there is. It's not a relationship with in the world or about the world or with people in the world, is it? It's with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the important thing to know. And that's the only important relationship there is. You know, if we would live with that mind of Christ, then all of our problems would be solved, I believe. All of our worries would certainly be gone. Mm. And be able to overcome, I believe, the temptations in two major areas of our lives. And I want you to know what they are. Let me tell you. The first is in the personal area, the personal arena of our lives, our righteousness. As a Christian, you have your own personal relationship with God. And you know what? Here's something that you need to do. And I thought about this a lot. Look, I wrote this over the last week. I was out of the country, you know. I was down in Texas. But one thing that I know is really important, the most important thing you have is your relationship with God. And you need to get alone with him when you start your day. With him and him only. Because you know what? That relationship is between you and him and nobody else is to be there. You need to have that personal relationship and you're only going to build it up if you live it with him. Look, we found in these scriptures that one thing that really matters is that God's eye is on us. Remember we said that God sees us every minute. Do you know that? Do you realize that? Do you get up from your, and go out after your coffee out into the world in the morning and you realize, okay, God's not watching now? Or do you forget? Like we were talking about this morning in the Sunday school class, like the children in the desert. You know, God was in front of them morning, noon, and night. You know, the pillar of cloud, I mean, the pillar of fire and, and, and this cloud that goes before them. But they didn't, they forgot he was there. How can you do that? How can we do that? One thing we said this morning in Sunday school, really, I wish everybody would come to Sunday school. When we said this morning in Sunday school, let me tell you what, though. When you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in to live in your life. You remember that? Remember that? Let me tell you what, he hasn't left. And if you don't feel as close to him as you used, as you used to or if you did at one time in your life, guess who moved? Christ, the Holy Spirit, is in you, and he never leaves. And you need that communion every day with him. And you need to start out the day with him. Just you and God through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, living in your life. Okay. Can I go sit down now? God sees you in everything that you do. He sees you here right now. He's going to see you later on if you're happen to be cheering for the wrong team in the World Series. Whatever you're doing, you know what? God sees you and he's with you no matter how you live your life, right? It doesn't matter what other people think of you, of what man thinks of you. Only God. We're here to please him and nobody else. Man's approval is not important. And you know what? We said this. This is in the scripture. When we give... You know, our offerings, or, or, or when, we, when we fast, if you fast, you're not supposed to tell anybody. No one's, no one's supposed to see that but you and God. And when you give, the only one that sees that is God. That's the way it's supposed to be. So when you're living your life out in public, it's not for, if you pray in public, it's not for anybody but for God. So even if you're paying in public, it's okay. 
It's for God. It's not for the people around you to approve or disapprove. Let me tell you what. If our prayers, if anybody in here is known as a great prayer person, they're useless. Because the praying is between you and God. Same is true about fasting. We, could, we ran by that and some people got on to me for that. You know what? It's our, our personal righteousness in life is under, it's for, it's in, and it's by God. That's it. So I haven't come to that point. You know, our, our Lord tells us another truth in Matthew six nineteen. If that's where you're parked, I hope you are in your Bibles. Uh, it, it's about our relationship to our loving Father who is in heaven. That's where we're going to put our treasures this morning. That's where we're going to read, and that's where we're going to find right here. How do we? How we? How do we live in this world, constantly facing the things not of this of heaven, involved in worldly affairs? You're feeling its cares, its stress, and everything that's around us all the time. Do you feel that? Are you experiencing that? Everybody here alive? Everybody here awake? Yeah. How do you deal with these problems? You know the problems that we're here on Earth. You know what? I thought we ought to say, go to Jesus, because he actually tells us. Let me read this to you. Matthew 6, 19. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've heard that before, hadn't we? Let's just start with the scripture. Let's take it apart just a minute. Let's start with finding out what scripture means by the expression, the earth or the world. You know, we talk about this worldly thing all the time, right? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean the physical universe like everybody thinks it does, like it may even be preached a lot of times, or a collection of people on the earth, on this planet. What it means, it's a way of looking at things. It's, it's a view. It's a, it's a world view. You've heard that one a lot, hadn't you? It's how we look at anything. And one of the biggest problems that faces us uh, today is how we deal with our relationships with the world. As Christians, as God's children. It's not easy, is it? Anybody here make, think it's easy? Okay, good. I just want to make sure we're all still awake. I'm, I'm in the right place, right? Okay, good. Jesus told us over and over again, it would not be easy to be a Christian in the world. So if you're watching that trash on TV that says that it is, they're wrong. Jesus himself says that it will be difficult to be a Christian. You want to live with that? It's only while we're in this world. He himself was tempted by Satan, wasn't he? You know, he, and he was tempted by Satan boldly. And let me tell you what, he was tempted by Satan subtly. He tried sneaking up on him. You know what, he tried... Tried getting him when he was by himself. Remember in the desert? And when he was, even when he was in prayer? Or when he was with his disciples in a small group? Or when he was out speaking publicly in the world? Satan was always after Jesus. He never stopped. It was incessant. And let me tell you what. We're doing the same thing. You are constantly being bombarded with the world and Satan all around us. Jesus gave us instructions how to deal with it, how to prepare for it, and how to deal with it. You want to hear what they are? You want to see that here in this scripture? Because I, I tell you what, everybody here awake? Yeah, okay, well, let's look at this. There's a battle going on out there, folks. 
And we're right in the middle of it. I don't know if you noticed. We are in the middle of a battle. It's not easy. And here's the thing. Unless you put on the full armor of God in this battle, you're going to lose. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a tough and vicious battle. And Christ tells us how to prepare for it. How to, get, how to endure. How to win this battle. He's already won it. Jesus tells us that attachment to this world, this temptation to worldliness, takes two main forms. It, it can manifest itself in love for the world. Now, I want you to know, I was back in the 60s and we were holding hands around the campfire, you know, and we were doing, I want to teach the world to sing a love song, you know, all that stuff, right? We're experts on that love in the world, aren't we, in our culture? Yeah, we are. Jesus takes care of that in verses 19 through 24. That's what we're going to talk about. He can also be manifested, though, by being anxious, afraid about the world. Now, Jesus covers that in, in verses 25 through 34, and, I, and Ed did last week, too. Pastor Ed covered that last week. So Jesus deals with both forms of, of, this, of this problem in terms of our relationship to our Heavenly Father. That's what we have to always keep there, that relationship between us and him. We have to keep that in front and in the back of our minds in everything we do. And let me tell you what, just remember that. There's no simple acronyms. There's no 12-point program, 12-step program. There's nothing. Just remember, our relationship was with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus opened that door and made it all available. It's all about glorifying God in all that we do and all that we say and all that we speak. Everything that we do. You know, some people try to simplify it and they try to put it in a simple formula. Okay, we're going to have this little, you can call it a catechism or you can call it whatever you want. We're going to have some kind of formula that we're going to do it. But it's their own formula. You have a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. It's yours. Nobody else's. He made that relationship with you. I hope that we all brought that relationship, our relationships here this morning as one body. We can become one and worship him together, right? But each of us has our own relationship with Jesus Christ. He died for that. That's why you need to have that to be a part of your life. It's all about glorifying our Lord in all that we do and think with that personal relationship that he gives us. You know what? The lifestyle of following these formulas and being legalistic or and all these moral things and, and all of that. You know what? I can't find that in the Bible. Surprised that we follow man's regulations, man's rules. God says, follow my rules. That's why he gave us this thing called his word. I can't find anywhere where someone has become monastic. You know, you go out in the desert and you live as a monk or something like that. Or you become legalistic and you follow all these rules. That works. Didn't work for the Pharisees. Didn't work for any of that stuff, did it? So Jesus is the one that tells us how to do it. So what do you say? Let's, let's look and see what he says. Read with me. Our Lord teaches by, by, by making, here's the first thing he does. I think this is so cool. He makes a blunt declaration, which is also a command, 
But he lays down a great rule. This is the way Jesus works in his word. I hope you're reading it this way. He lays down a great rule. Then in his loving kindness, he gives us things to consider to obey it. You know, anybody here have Jesus standing over him with a whip? No, he didn't. That's not the way he works. He says, here's the rules and here's how you should obey them. He gives us suggestions so we can do it. You know why? He wants your will to be his will. He wants you to be bowed down before him so you become one with him. Not your own idea. Hey, buddy. No, it's his way. It's only his way. But you know what? He has every right to give us a law and say, now, follow it. But Jesus doesn't do that ever. That's not the way Jesus works. He gives us examples. And not for us to rely on, but ones that will help us to remember that our relationship is with the Father in heaven. You know, when you're worn out and beaten down, Jesus has given you the way to follow. Look at it and do it. Listen to this command. This is a command. Now listen to what it says. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Here's the rest of the command. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the command. The moth and rust and all that stuff, that's just the reasoning to help you understand it, to get the grasp of it. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up. For yourselves, treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. <laughs> Look at the command, the, the first part. It's a positive and a negative one, isn't it? Two of them together. It says The negative part says, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what do you think that really means? What are you talking about here? We want to think that means money. That's an easy way out, folks. Not storing up money. And, and is there anybody here that's not storing up money? <laughs> Everybody tries, don't they? Everybody tries to do that, whether you say you're broke or not. He does. Everybody tries to store up money or things that, you know, the, we, we can get what we want. He says, do not, he didn't, and here's nothing. He didn't say, do not store up money on earth. Look what he says. It's really broad. He says, he says, he says, treasures. Well, that's really broad, and that covers everything you become attached to that you can't seem to live without. Think about what that is. Go to your own place. What do you think you cannot live without? Wrong. The only thing you can't live without is Jesus Christ, God himself, God the Father. And here's the thing. Anything that comes between you and God... That's not a treasure you're storing up in heaven, is it? And you know, and here's the thing. We all have it. There are things, and, here, and here's another thing. You think, how do we get here? Here's the thing. We actually, it sneaks in. You have to be on guard. You have to be on guard all the time that nothing comes between you and God. And it's trying all the time, amen? It is. You know what? You may be able to have money and be okay, but it's really about your attitude. I really haven't met anybody yet that has a lot of money and is good with it. Hadn't let it come between them and God. I'm sorry, I haven't. And I met a lot of rich people. 
It's God. It's him and him only. Jesus is dealing with people here who get their satisfaction in life from things of the world. What he's saying is we should keep a limit on our ambitions and a limit on our, our interest and our, and our hopes in this life and always have them focused the foundation in God himself. And when you look at life through his lens, well, it becomes a whole lot bigger than just money, doesn't it? makes no difference what your economic position is. I think that, you know what, the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich need to hear Jesus' instructions about laying up treasures in heaven. We all have treasures in some shape or form, and it may not be money. Here's, here's the thing. Think with me a minute. You know what it could be? You're going you're gonna to like hearing this. It could be a spouse. It could be your children. It could be your house. Uh, it could be anything that is in the world that's not of heaven. And it can sneak up on you. No matter what it is or how small it is, if it's everything to you, then it's between you and God. But the definition of treasures on earth is almost endless, isn't it? We've got to be on guard. We've got to be watching. It's so sad to look around and see how people let things sneak up on them and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Got to go run off and watch my team win. Or, you know, I got to go fishing. Or I got to go in my new boat. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. You know, that gets between you and God. It's not a treasure in heaven, is it? Let me tell you, here's another test you can take. The things that you have, we asked our kids this when they were growing up. So where, is that gonna, where are you going to be 100 years from now with that? What are you going to have 100 years from now that you have right now? Only one thing I hope you can say, and that's Jesus Christ and the treasures that you set up in heaven. Amen? Yeah. So, the, you know, it says, knowing what treasures on earth means... It begs the question, how can I avoid that? How can I keep that from sneaking up on me? There are subtle ways that earthly treasures sneak up on people, aren't there? Um, you know what? Here's a sad thing. I, I know some of you know this, some of you don't. I meet with a group of preachers every Thursday, and we just all get together, and that's kind of like our Bible study, our devotion together. They all come from different denominations, and it's not denominational. And it's, 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 sometimes it's a small group, sometimes it's larger, it's different people and all that. But one thing I've seen in, in this, uh, if these, I've seen pastors ruined by their congregation. Now, you've got to let me finish this. <laughs> Don't go warming up that tar and feather yet. When, it, when, a preacher, when a preacher preaches to hear compliments from his audience, when he tends to be unconsciously controlled by his desires to have good opinions from his congregation and their praises, then you know what? He's not laying up treasures in heaven anymore. He's laying up treasures on earth, isn't he? Okay, you're not a preacher. You don't preach from a pulpit every week. So what are you doing during the, work, during the week? When you go out and you preach Jesus living in you, when you're out walking around, and, and you, you maybe you don't preach, but 
Are you really telling them, submitting completely and totally to the Father in all that you do and all that they see? Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. You know, whatever the form is, don't store up treasures on earth. It's just real simple, isn't it? That brings us to the positive part of the man. Um, lay, up lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to build up a whole lot of brownie points by doing a lot of good works. That's not how you get into heaven, is it? Can't, can't earn it. Jesus already did all the work. Stop trying to do his work. You can't. You know, we've, we've, we've talked about that a lot here in the ministry here. Uh, in just this last year, we learned that we can't go out and save anybody. Jesus Christ has done all the work necessary to save everybody in this room. And we can't go out and replace any of that work. We can't do it for them. They have to receive Jesus Christ into their hearts. And then they know the joy and the satisfaction of knowing that you're saved forever and you're with God. Nothing else matters in this world. But you know what? We're not going to do it by going out and doing any good works, are we? Can't save anybody. You know what? Jesus is talking here. You remember him? He's the guy, the only son of God, the, the, the one who, who died for your sins, the one who came to this world as a human being, a man like you and me, who was sinless and died for you and me and took away all these sins. That's who's talking here. It's the same Jesus who just a few breaths before told us that it's the one who is poor in spirit who is blessed. Are you poor in spirit? Are you broke? Are you spiritually bankrupt? Because that's the way you're going to receive blessings from Christ. You have to be there, folks. It's the one who mourns because of his sinfulness. It's the one who knows that in, in the end, in spite of all that he's done wrong, he's saved because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of his work, not anything that we've done. To think someone can build up treasures in heaven... And to earn salvation by brownie points, by being good, by saying he's going to look at me because I did something good, is to deny what Jesus says right here in this word. And let me tell you something else. If you believe that you can build up brownie points and get into heaven by doing anything, any good work, you're, deny, you're denying the work that Christ did on the cross. That's the only way to be saved, is to receive his great work. Because we can't do it ourselves. Jesus, remember the story in Luke 16? Uh, let, me, let me read it to you. It's about laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose ma uh, manager was accused of wasting his possessions. This is a hard one for a lot of people. So listen to this closely. There was a rich man whose mess, uh, manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. In Donald Trump's words, you're fired. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, not, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. 
Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, and he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Does this bother you? Should bother you? Did that bother you? Let me tell you what this means, what Jesus is saying here. For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use the worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. They will welcome you into eternal dwellings is what the original language says. Huh, how about that? Jesus is saying that that the children of the world are wiser than the children of light. They are in the world. Does that bother you? They have business people come in and tell you how you should run the church because they're wiser than you are in the world. Huh. Guess who's wiser than they are? Jesus Christ. It's his church. That's another, another, another talk another time. They work to take care of themselves in the world. To gain man's approval. But Jesus is saying, so take that worldly principle and apply it to yourselves in the light, in God's light. And if you have money or treasures in this world, use them while you're here in this world so that when you arrive in glory, the people who benefited from them will be there and they'll welcome you. Hmm. Is that a share of the wealth statement? Not the same one I heard on TV. How about you? Paul explained this principle to his pastor in training, Timothy. I like that. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Hmm. So we use the things of the world, in the world, for God's purpose. In other words, if you have riches in this world, use them in the world in such a way that you're building up a balance in heaven, in your treasury chest in heaven. Jesus uh, said the same thing at the, end, at the end of Matthew 25. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. The king will answer them. King Jesus. You got that? Truly I say to you, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. My brothers. We are here to help brothers and sisters of Christ. You don't realize it. But when you do these things, you're building up your balance in heaven, your treasure balance in heaven. And there you'll receive your reward and enter into the joy of your Lord, Jesus says. It's the same principle said to the disciples, you know, after meeting the rich ruler. Remember that one? 
Jesus had told them that although he'd done everything righteous, he got all the rules right that they'd written out, he said um, he still needed to go and sell all that he had and give it to the poor. And he went away very unhappy because he had a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in the world, not anything that he'd built up in heaven. Mm. And Jesus says after that, how difficult it is for those who leave, have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's not a metaphor, folks. That's real. In the original language, that the eye of a needle is the eye of a needle, a sewing needle, and the camel is a real camel. But he said God can do whatever he wants. God can make that happen. And God just told us how to do that. You know what? It's when someone trusts their treasure on earth that they have this fatal self-confidence. Seen a lot of that of you. I hate to tell you this, folks. We live in a country with a fatal self-confidence because we place all of our wealth in having money and stuff in the bank and leisure and all of this stuff. But I got to tell you, we ain't taking that to heaven. When people place their faith in that, they have that fatal, what I call a fatal self-confidence and treasures on earth. Um, it's, it becomes impossible for them to become poor in spirit. Jesus said another day, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. That's what he went, meant by laying up treasures in heaven. So how do we do this? How do we have this, this right view, this right heavenly view? A heaven view with, uh, while living in this world? That's the hard part. It's hard for me. Is it not hard for you? Anybody here got any suggestions that can help me here with this? I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm with you. if you have one, I'll, I'll listen to it, but I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. I like what David Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He's one of my favorite theologians that I've read a lot of in, in, in my studies. He says, the, the great fact of which we must never lose sight is that in this life we are but pilgrims. We are walking through the world under the eye of God and towards our everlasting hope. If we always think of ourselves in that way, what? how can we go wrong? Everything will fall into position. You ever wish that? Oh, man. Lord, I say, you know what? I've got all this set up. got all this set up. Why didn't it just fall into place? It will if we're walking according to his plan. His plan. I think David Martin Lloyd-Jones was right. You know what? When you see this truth about placing our faith in him and him only, even though we can't see it, our treasure's in heaven, Right? We saw that when we read through Hebrews 11. Remember that one? We called that the Hall of Faith. Uh, those great heroes of the faith who, who walked as seeing him who is invisible. They knew he was to come. We do too, don't we? We have that assurance living in us. But these are people like Moses. You know, we, were, we almost talked about that this morning. People like Moses. He was. Think about this. Moses was asked to leave a royal high position in the court of the largest, most powerful nation on earth, so that he could, he went out and left that so he could go out for God for 40 years 
of herding sheep in the desert. And then after that was another 40 years where he herded uh, 2 million complaining Jews through the desert. That's pretty good, isn't it? You anybody here want to do that? And here's what it says. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. His reward was going to be in heaven. Go look at the, uh, the list of pilgrims in Hebrews 11, men and women who, who, listen to this, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. People of faith looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That's scripture talking, not me. Is that what you're looking forward to? Is that where we're placing our treasures? I pray that we are. If we always have this right view of ourselves as pilgrims and, and, and see the things on earth that, that they're gods and we're stewards of them, it's all for his glory. We all use them for him and him. God sees everything we do as stewards of his world that he made. And when we are meeting him every day and we're walking with him every day all along the way, in this world of his, and he knows that we are stewards of his. We know how to be good stewards of his if we're with him all the way. God first, always, here. And that's where my treasures are going to be, amen? We do all this for his glory. Remember this, if you don't remember anything else that we read here this morning. Do not lay up treasures on earth but lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Amen. Lord, thank you for your words. Lord, for your admonition. Lord, for your way that you show us, Lord, exactly what to do. Lord, thank you for your instructions. Thank you, Lord, for showing us and telling us and, Lord, never leaving us and walking with us. Lord, thank you for the reminders, for, for knowing you. Lord, for your love, your goodness, your, the joy that we even get now, Lord, right here, knowing you in the peace and the satisfaction and knowing that we're not captured by this world. Lord, we praise you. And Lord, may everyone here this morning hear your words. Lord, may they pierce our hearts as we live our lives in this world, Lord, knowing that you're always with us. Lord, may we place all of our faith in you. And Lord, may we see, may we know, Lord, I pray, we ask this morning, may we know your will for us in this church family so that, Lord, we are good stewards of the world that you have here. And that, Lord, all that we have, may we be making treasures in heaven, all for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope